1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read the entire chapter, just 13 verses. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. If any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? When you sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. The title of the message this morning, Liberty Governed by Love. Liberty Governed by Love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you that you have, we have, we can have assurance that we have your word preserved for us uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the English language, in the King James Bible. And Father, that we have a more sure word of prophecy where we, unto we do well that we take heed. So Father, help us to give heed to your word this morning and to be encouraged and challenged, convicted where conviction is needed. Lord, we do pray if being in our midst this morning who uh, do not have proper understanding or knowledge of the love of God should have broadened their hearts by the Holy Ghost. If they're not born again, I pray the Spirit of God will work in those hearts today and help them to understand and come to a realization of their need of, of Christ. We do pray you be glorified in all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are things that we make decisions about in life that we must give liberty to others in the decisions and choices they make. Now, we're not talking about Bible-based doctrines or we call standards such as drinking, drugs and immorality, tithing, assembling together. Now, these things are clearly taught, although in today's evangelical world and even, even in what is considered fundamental churches, those things are being thrown into the liberty areas. You know, social drinking is, is becoming popular in, in, in uh, fundamental churches, uh, and so on. And, and, but those are Bible-based, and I think we can make a very good 
uh, case against social drinking. Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, and so on. So we're not talking about those things. Uh, it may be what traditions you hold concerning holidays or whether you watch TV or not. Or eat a certain place. Now, when we lived in Pennsylvania, there were very few restaurants that served liquor. And so we didn't, and no grocery store sold liquor. Now, we moved to Maine. I mean, if we didn't want to shop at a place that didn't serve liquor, we almost couldn't shop. Uh, you know, and that's the way it is in North Carolina. Every store, every grocery store you go into in North Carolina sells liquor. So that's not an option. Uh, but, you know, those things were things that, that some people looked down on when we were in Pennsylvania. And, and, but we have to give liberty in those areas, not, again, that are not clearly defined in the Bible. I told a guy one time, in fact, when we were living in Alexandria, or near there, there was a bar in Alexandria, and they said they served the best food around. And I said, technically, it wouldn't be wrong for me to go in there and buy a meal. But what does that appear as by somebody else? Uh, so I never went in there and ordered my milk or a sandwich. Uh, why? Because of this very thing. We're not to live just to go- just governed by the knowledge and understanding we have. We're to live by the, uh, our liberty is to be governed by love for others. No man lives to himself or dies to himself, Romans 14, 7 says. As we heard in Sunday school this morning, our lives do affect other people. And so, uh, you know, in, in, now in the Bible, there's two things that we see particularly that are addressed concerning these areas of liberty, and they have to do with meats, certain meats, uh, meats, meats particularly has been offered to idols, and holy days. And that's what we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 has to do with meats. Romans 14 has more to do with holy days. But we see here in this passage there are two motives of life, two things that govern our conduct, you might say. And they are knowledge and love. Now we need both. We need both. However, our our life and our liberties in Christ, that we have in Christ, should be governed by love. We're going to see from this passage. Because one notice, first of all, this morning, the imperfection of knowledge. In verses 1 and 2 it says, Now, in touching, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Knowledge puffeth up. That word puffeth up means to cause to swell up. Or to make pride. That's the idea. To make pride. Knowledge makes one pride. You know, and he uses this in this book of 1 Corinthians three times. Four times, actually. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 6. He says, In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. And, you know, and they were. They had this problem of, of knowledge, and, and there were some wise men there, but, but they were puffed up. Verse 18, Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. In chapter 5, again verse 2, And ye are puffed up, 
and have not rather mourned. You see, their puffed up with pride caused them to overlook some flagrant sin in the body. So knowledge puffed up. And then in chapter 13, again in verse 4, he says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. And also when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18, again he, he, he spoke to them about this and, and he, uh, those at Colossae in Colossians 2.18, Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility in worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. All oh, these people were really spiritual. They were super spiritual and worshiping angels and, and, and they were into asceticism and they, you know, they were denying themselves the things of the body and because of that, they were super spiritual. And Paul said, you're vainly puffed up. That's what you are. You're, you're, you're into things that you don't even understand. That you think you do. You know, there's an interesting thing. Knowledge puffeth up. Where do you first find the devil in the Bible? He's under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge can also, also knowledge can be deceiving. If you notice in verse 2 of our text, the Bible says, And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. Now, what that means is, if we think we know it all, we're really self-deceived. We really don't know anything. We don't even know our own selves. You know, I've grown, I think, a little smarter over the years. There are some things, you know, I'm the kind of guy that I'm a do-it-yourselfer through and through. And if there's a way, I'll figure out to fix it myself. But there are some things I've come to the conclusion that I just don't do because I don't know enough about it. And I have learned. A guy asked me the other day, just on Tuesday, you know, all these things he wants me to do in this house. And I said, he said, is there anything you don't want to do? I said, yes, there is. And I said, the reason is, I don't know enough about it. I don't have enough knowledge about that. So I think it's best if you find somebody else to do that. You see, if we think we know it all, even when we come to spiritual things, if we think we know it all, we're self-deceived. We are self-deceived. And knowledge will deceive you. It had deceived the Corinthians into thinking they, they, they knew everything. They knew how to take care of everything. And, and in their knowledge, they had allowed, as we see in chapter 5, this man in the church, who a member of the church, who was committing immorality with his mother or stepmom. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Pharisees. In Luke eleven forty two. Jesus said to them, But woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs. I mean, they were meticulous about keeping the sacrifices and doing everything by, by everything, crossing their I's and dotting their T's just right. You know, they, 
they were meticulous about keeping the law. And then he says this, and you pass over judgment and the love of God. See, their knowledge had made them so sharp and keen about doing the right thing, but so cold and uncaring about the souls of men. He says, these ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Look at Micah chapter 6 for a minute. Micah chapter 6. In <clears throat> Micah chapter 6. Jonah, Micah. Micah chapter 6 and verse 5 says, O my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab consulted, and what Balaam the son of Bor answered him for Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. You know, and, and what the Bible is saying here to Israel is, you know, they, they had brought, think about it, this, they had brought the sacrifices that Moses commanded them of the Lord, and yet, in other words, they had knowledge of all these things, and yet, as soon as there was a temptation by Balak and Balaam, guess what they did? They forsook the Lord. You know what that tells us? that all those sacrifices were just kind of rituals that they went through. They knew how to do, but their heart was not really in it. A love for, it wasn't compelled by a love of God within. They turned away quickly after the council of Balaam. They had knowledge of the right sacrifices, but it was not with a surrendered or a right heart. Notice in verse 8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. In Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, the Lord tells us there what is a proper sacrifice, a sacrifice that God is pleased with. He says in verse, Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in birth offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You see, knowledge without love is hurtful and destructive. It is without profit. If you notice in verse 3, 13.3, it says, But if a man love God, the same is known of him. 
You know, Isaiah 47.10, speaking of Babylon, Isaiah said, For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, for thou hast said, None seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee, and thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. Remember Nebuchadnezzar walking out in his porch, and he said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Now, nobody's going to argue that Nebuchadnezzar was a wise man. Had a lot of knowledge. But his knowledge puffed him up. It perverted his thinking. And the thinking that everything that he had done, everything that God had given him, he had gotten by his own power. We know from the Bible that God used Nebuchadnezzar to bring judgment on Israel and the other nations around them. But Nebuchadnezzar thought, it's all by my great might. Pharaoh also, who said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? See, knowledge deceives us. And I believe we're living in a time of much knowledge. You know, Daniel 12, 4 tells us, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. For many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. You know, the knowledge is available at your fingertips. Just go on the computer, and you have access to anything you want. We, we, have, we live in a world of much knowledge. That knowledge hasn't brought us to the truth. And so, the imperfection of knowledge, notice secondly, the perfection of love. If you notice in verse 3, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. Roy Lauren, in his commentary, <coughs> quote, said this, quote, Love perfects all human relationships because it is perf- the perfection of the greatest of all relationship, which is man's relationship with God. Love illuminates what knowledge may leave in obscurity, unquote. So love perfects all human relationship. It illuminates what knowledge may leave in obscurity. In other words, it gives us understanding in, in what knowledge does not give us understanding into. You know, 1 John 4, 7, 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5, verse 6, that a faith works by love. The verse I read to you earlier, Luke eleven forty two, where Jesus told the Pharisees, you tithe, mint, and ruin all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. You know, again, these Pharisees were governed by knowledge without mercy. Look at Matthew 12, 
And we see an example of this, Matthew 12, and verses 1 through 8. Now, Jesus, this is one of the things that Jesus uh, corrected the Pharisees about over and over again. In Matthew 12, verse 1, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. He said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was unhungered, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God to eat the showbread, which was not lawful to him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you, that in this place is one greater than the temple, but if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees, you know, in their perverted zeal for knowledge, they condemned anyone who committed what they considered the slightest transgressions which they themselves were often guilty of. And they had not only that not only they were meticulous about the law, but they had added to the law. Think about it. They wanted to stone the adulterous woman. Where was the man? How do you be an adulterous woman alone? Where was the man? And she was caught in the very act. How can you catch a woman in adultery and not catch a man? See, knowledge condemns, love seeks restoration. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sense. And I'll define that in a minute. And we'll give you a few other verses. James 5.20, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death, shall hide a multitude of sins. And then 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all things, have fervent charity. He doesn't say fervent knowledge. Now, knowledge is important. But it has to be governed by love. He says to have fervent charity, and that's a strong word, that's the word agape, and sometimes translated love in the Bible, but that's what it means. Among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. The words hide or cover in these verses means not to regard or impute them, i.e. to pardon them, or to obtain a pardon of them from God. So it isn't the idea that we're covering up sin and concealing it and not confessing it, but that we're seeking to obtain a pardon for those sins from God. When they brought that adulterous woman, they weren't seeking a pardon from God. What they were seeking was death for her. Just destroy her. And Jesus sought a pardon from God. And he obtained it too. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. See, that's what love does. It seeks a pardon from God, not condemnation. 
Think about it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God, not, God did not reveal himself to the world in his Son, so all the world could be condemned to hell, but that the world might be saved through him. And God did not give us knowledge of the truth so we could chastise or insult one another or the world with our superior knowledge and their lack thereof. But so that with love we could take that knowledge and edify and build up and demonstrate the love and patience of our Lord to one another. See, love perfects. Knowledge is imperfect. But I want you to notice a third thing. Then we notice here also the regulation of conduct. So considering the fact, these things, in light of knowledge and love, how ought we to regulate our conduct? And I have two things here. First of all, Conduct regulated by love. We notice verses 4 through 8. It says, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be many, be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit, there's not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. So we have, he says, we have all knowledge. In other words, we have knowledge of God, and creation gives us an understanding that there really is only one God. All these other gods that people worship, they're just figments of men's imaginations. That's all they are. They're not real. They're not real. They're not living. They're all dead. Stones. Made up. Just made up, you know, little idols of made up of, of what they think God, a God is like. A God that fits or suits themselves. Muhammad made up a religion that suited himself. The Catholic Church has made up a religion that suits themselves. Mormonism, you know, and all these, they make up these, these, this idea of who God is, but it's a false God. It's not God at all. And, and, you know, and you have world religions around the world that, that bow down to, to, to pieces of stone and, and offer sacrifices. You know, we were in Taiwan. We went to this temple, and there'd be, there'd be food laying out on tables. It was not for sale. It was not for you to pick up and eat. Or you might go down the street, 
and be a vendor at it. And he has some food, a little bit of food laying out in front of his place on a table. That is not for you to buy because that's offered to his God as was that stuff in the temple. You know, the funny thing is, why doesn't, if the God is real, why does it never disappear? Yeah, thought crossed my mind. Maybe I should go up to this guy. Of course, I couldn't talk the language and ask him, okay, if your God is real, why doesn't that food disappear? Or what do you do with it after it lays out there and rots all day long? No, the God is not real. It's just made up. And, and you see, Paul said, look, we have that knowledge, but not all men have that knowledge. Not everyone has all that knowledge. You know, the laws of God, the principles taught in the Word of God, standards are like fences to protect us, not just from sinful actions, but from wrong thinking processes, which are the root of sin. And so, you know, we, we have this knowledge, but not everyone has that knowledge. And so we have to be patient with people. But we do need to have a right and, and, and try to bring them to a right understanding of the truth. But I want you to notice also, he says here, conduct regulated by love. Uh, you know, if, we, if our conduct is regulated by knowledge, we could, we could damage, we can damage one, someone else's conscience. Notice verse, verse 7 says, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge... For some with conscience of an idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. You know, some people may have looked at us going into this Buddhist temple. I think it was a Buddhist temple. One of the oldest ones in Taiwan. I said, oh, you went in there? Yeah, it did. Uh, I have to agree, it's a creepy place. But it's, it, to me, it's just a building. You know what? This is just a building. It's just a meeting house. We are the church. It's a place where a bunch of deceived people go and buy and offer sacrifices or burn candles and incense to nothing. To nothing. You know, in my zeal, I could have went in there and told them all that. How do you think that went down? And so, in our, you know, as, as our conduct regulated by knowledge can damage or be destructive to a to a fellow believer or to, to an unsaved person. What I want you to notice in the conduct regulated by love, verses 9 through 13. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block. So the liberty here is talking about is, look, we all know that an idol is nothing. So eat meat offered to an idol. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. But 
lest by any means, verse 9, this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no meat, no flesh, while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. I just hope none of you are vegans. Uh, no, but as we think about conduct being regulated by love here, we are, one commentator said this, quote, We are cautioned to behave so that our behavior, while right in itself and intelligent to us, may be edifying to others. What I do must not only consider my pleasure, but another's profit. Christian ethics are not based on selfishness. We are not told to do as we please. If our pleasure is another's hindrance, then our liberty, which is good, becomes evil. Unquote. You know, we don't live to ourselves. Romans 14 7 says, No man liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. What we do affects others. And so our lives need to be governed or regulated by the love of God. In verses 10 and 11 again, he says, For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temples, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols, and through thy knowledge shall thy weak brother perish for whom... Christ died. You know, we are to be moved or directed or controlled by love. We should not say, should not do or say things that are insulting or destructive to others. Uh, Go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And I realize this doesn't have to do with meat, but the application is the same here. James chapter 3. Verse 1, My brethren, be not ma- many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, all the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turn about with every very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. Drop down to verse uh, 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God, out of the same mouth of proceeding blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. You know, our knowledge sometimes can cause us to say things that we ought not say that are hurtful or offensive 
That may be true, but it also may be destructive. Yet Proverbs 18, 19 says this, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Once you offend them, it's like you're going to have to break down bars of a castle to unoffend. See, we are to regulate our lives, but what pleases God and respects and considers others. You notice verses 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians 8, it says, When you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. See, knowledge considers our interests. Love considers the interests of others. And you remember what Jesus said before he left the disciples in John 13, 35? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. Love. You see, our conduct should be regulated by love. By the way, that love for God gives us an understanding and a right knowledge of God. You know, the ultimate goal for the Christians should be to be governed by love that, number one, glorifies God. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, Psalm 1914. Governed by a love that edifies fellow believers. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Again, speaking about this very thing, says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. We aren't to live for ourselves. We're to edify. Do that which is edifying. And then thirdly, Government love provides a good reputation before unbelievers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold... Glorify God in the day of visitation. That really means that we will purposely refrain from things that are questionable or that may cause offense. You see, that's what it means to be governed by love. We don't live to please ourselves. We're not here to please ourselves. We're here to please the Lord. You 
And you might ask this question, well, that, will that cause me to suffer? No. It might hurt your pride. But again, Roy Lawrence said this in his commentary, quote, No Christian suffers who behave like a Christian. You do not really penalize yourself when you live by love. It may seem so, but it will not be so. It will prove the most delightful and enriching experience of life. Unquote. And Paul gives us an example here in the next chapter, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verses 19 through 23, he says, Though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant of all, that I might gain the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under laws, under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without laws, without law, being not without law to God. In other words, he never violated the scriptures. But if there was a custom that didn't violate the scriptures, he would go along with it. He didn't live to, the point is, he didn't live to please himself. He lived for others. Verse 23 says, And this I do for the gospel's sake. You know, to the weak I became as weak. Those that didn't, were afraid to eat meat because they thought it was an idol, he wouldn't eat meat. He would deny himself meat. And this I did for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker with you. See, it brought the benefit of seeing Fruit abound in his life for the glory of God. Paul's life was enriched by his willingness to live for others. You and I need to govern our lives by the love of God. Not just by the knowledge we have, but it needs to be governed by love. How is it with you this morning? You know, this doesn't mean we give occasion to sin or to the flesh. You know, Christian liberty has no li- Christian has no liberty to walk in any time of unholiness or moral looseness or conform to the world. But it's it's freedom to live to please the Lord and to love those who the Lord has given us opportunity to minister to, to witness to, that we might see them come to know the truth as well. How is it with you this morning?